You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Does the perfect collection of college football questions exist, I think, in the next hour or so? I could argue yes. we got a really good mailbag here. It's the Late Kick Extra Podcast. I'm Josh Pate. This is Wall-to-Wall College Football. You can only find this particular version of this particular show in this podcast feed. We do a lot on YouTube. Some of these little individual videos from this pod even go on YouTube, but you want the full Wall-to-Wall Late Kick Extra, this is where you have to be. Now, I know it sounds like I'm talking like an auctioneer. Is there somebody in the back? Do I see somebody in the back? But that's just because we have a busy, busy day ahead of us. We're headed to Miami today. Looking forward to getting down there. Late Kick Live will be from Coral Gables on the campus of the University of Miami Thursday. So we got a busy week. There is no offseason. And we're going to have a really good addition to the Pate State Speaker Series. But that's all Thursday. What about today? Well, today, producer Jesse and Director Colin and Bradley, the associate, and I, we mined the mailbag all the way down to the bottom. And we got some really, really good questions here. So let's start it off. Digital Spittle, who hails from Oklahoma City, hit us up and said, what teams are the biggest question marks heading into this season? Well, I think we should start right there in your backyard. Let's just go to Norman, Oklahoma. Oklahoma's a really big question mark team. Now, I got my feel on them, and I'm sure everyone listening to this or watching this has their feel on Oklahoma. How confident are you in your feel? And I'm excluding Sooner fans for a second because, of course, you have every possible reason You've seen every possible way that the glass can be half full instead of half empty. You know, but if I talk to you guys and I were to inject truth serum in you, or maybe you're just a real one who can see past the crimson and cream colored glasses and you can see your team for what it is, you know that there is some element of the unknown there. They overhauled their defense and they had to because their defense was woeful last year. Uh, They still, to, to my feel, don't have a true number one receiver on that team. Now, that doesn't mean they can't have one. This is college football. Guys emerge all the time. But I'm looking at how much they overturned, and I'm looking at how subpar they were last year relative to everyone's expectation level. And you can tell yourself that Vegas is right. You can tell yourself, hey, nine and a half as an over-under win total. For a team that barely made a bowl game last year, like, wow, they believe in us. Yes, they do. And those people aren't stupid. And I believe in you too. And it's questionable day to day whether I'm that S word that I just mentioned. but. Oklahoma is an absolute question mark team this year. It's just a team that could go one of two ways. You know, I I got confidence, but even I have to admit they could go one of two ways. Another team 
that I think uh, bears including in this particular conversation is Texas A&M for basically all the same reasons that we just listed with Oklahoma. Texas A&M, they got an over-under win total of eight and a half after they just missed a bowl game last year. And so again, odds makers are looking and here's basically all that comes down to. If you're out there and you don't bet or you don't really care about it, but you're kind of curious how those odds are formulated, a lot of it just has to do with roster talent. A lot of it has to do with the skill level you have on your team and the understanding based on history that more times than not, teams full of really talented players tend to have better records. I know. It's a crazy concept, but it does normally work out that way. However, I hear some of you yelling already. There's somebody out there listening right now on an elliptical machine at a gym somewhere in the U.S. of A. And you're saying, hey, they had a lot of talent last year, didn't they? Yes, they did. Well, they didn't even make a bowl game last year, did they? No, they did not. What say you? I say, I saw it just like you did. That's an exception to the overwhelming rule. But here's the problem. Let's just say the detractors are right. Let's just say the haters are right, and it was on Jimbo. Well, Jimbo's still the head coach there. You know, so if it was on Jimbo, he better have made some changes. Now, we all know he did, at least from what we can see. He did make changes. A lot of guys left. He brought in some influential pieces, namely an offensive coordinator. He brought them in. And at this point, I'm just kind of telling you a lot of what you already know. Uh, that's the point. Like, everyone knows that. The Vegas oddsmakers know that. A&M fans know that. Still a big question mark team. And with both of these teams I've talked about so far, OU and A&M, you picture getting, getting into October and then early November, if they've already lost a handful of games, man, think about the conversation. Think about how uncomfortable that starts to get. There's always a handful of teams where there's a lot of optimism, but there's also no room for error because you've used up a lot of your equity. And I think that absolutely fits Jimbo Fisher. What about Miami? We're going to be down there later this week. What about the Canes? Bad last year. Really bad last year. So much as is normally the case when you have a new staff that comes in, this is kind of like the Oklahoma vibe, new staff comes in, you immediately have high hopes. Sometimes it pans out. Other times, like with Miami, it doesn't. You're not happy about it. However, you're able to convince yourself, okay, sometimes things have to get the darkest before dawn. You can tell yourself those sorts of things. You can say, maybe we just had a little bit more of a rebuild than I thought. Maybe we had to hit the dump button on a little bit more of the program than I thought. You know that. Every one of us has been through that at some point with teams we root for. And it's not always just college football, but especially in college football. Well, anyway, they did all that. There's a lot of roster churn, two new coordinators. We're going to talk to those guys later this week. Tyler Van Dyke is back, and there was some concern that maybe he would be moving on. And so that was a lot of the off-the-field drama well, they've recruited pretty well. They have portaled pretty well. Uh, they're over under win total seven and a half, so a little bit lower than the other two I just mentioned. But with Miami, it's the same thing. If they get off to a hot start, let's just say A&M comes in there early in the year and Miami beats them. That'd be a really, really big win for them. Really big win. Because this is a team with the fifth best odds to win the ACC. Even now, fifth best odds. I didn't just mention a conference game, but if they beat A&M, that should buoy your confidence quite a bit for how you may fare in the conference slate. Now, they do have to play Clemson. They do have to play Florida State. Like They, they draw most of the high-odds teams in the ACC, so it's not going to be easy. That Louisville game, right after a trip to Florida State, is not easy towards the end of the year either. Could go one of two ways. So that's a big question mark team for me. And the last one is about 35 or 40 minutes to the west of where I grew up, Auburn. 
Not as much as expected of Auburn. Auburn's over-under win total is barely above the bowl line of demarcation. They're like six and a half, I think, is their over-under. Seven, so it's up to seven now. And that's been bet up. It was at six and a half earlier in the market cycle. So famously at this point, I think if you've been paying attention, and if you're one of, one of us who does not take an offseason, you've been paying attention. You know Auburn has portaled really hard themselves. They have basically brought an entire offense in. They've brought two, maybe three starting receivers in. They have addressed pretty much every position up to and including quarterback. And so they, they bring in Peyton Thorne from Michigan State. That's probably your starter, probably. Uh, several pieces defensively. It's just a bunch of newness. And that includes head coach. And so, you know, when Hugh Freeze gets hired, I think the first reaction from a lot of us listening right now and, and the one guy here talking is what Hugh Freeze does offensively is not the most complex system in America. So it doesn't take a bunch of guys struggling and like barely keeping their head above water to try and grasp the concepts in year one. If you've got players, especially if, they, if they've been underutilized by the previous staff, Hugh Freeze is the kind of guy who can come in and squeeze a lot more immediately out of a team, offensively at least, than you thought could be squeezed out. But you have to have those players. To put it bluntly, they didn't when he first got on campus. They are closer to being that now. That's what makes them a question mark team because they could absolutely go six and six or they could pull some random upsets and go nine and three. And then if they go nine and three, I can't even I can't even begin to tell you how egregious the hype machine would be this time a year from now. Good questions, though. So my question mark teams, and this was kind of off the top of my head. I'm going to go OU, I think A&M, I think Miami, and I think Auburn. I didn't do a single Pac-12 team, and you know good and well I could do half the Pac-12 in that segment, too. Whew. I did a little bit different. I did a little bit different um, routine today. You can probably hear it in my voice. So there's a mixture of caffeine and exhaustion. And that's because I went to the gym. You know, we got to fly out of here in a little while as you're listening. We got to fly out of here a little, a little while to go to Miami. And so already went to the gym. We had to postpone recording the pod for a little while because I couldn't stop sweating. So that's what happens when you do legs and you come right over to the studio. Whomst amongst us, by the way, hasn't done that a time or two. And now, irresponsibly, I've got coffee in my hand, not cold brew. And I said that about two weeks ago on the Extra Pod. And a lot of you came in my DMs and said, careful, you'll go blind again. And I realized, it's been a little while since I told that story. Maybe not all of you get that. It's really a pretty quick story. I was pounding way too much Starbucks cold brew this time last year. And it culminated with me having partial blindness and light sensitivity by the time the season got here. So your boy was just randomly wearing sunglasses on air. Management didn't like it. They thought I was trying to make a statement. The statement was, I can't open my eyes without these sunglasses on. That was the statement. So we have backed off the cold brew. We're just going coffee. Here's the problem. As we get set to go to Miami, that entire coaching staff inhales Cuban coffee all day. Cristobal does it. He's done it since birth. The rest of them do it, I think, via peer pressure. And we went down there a couple of weeks ago. I didn't tell you about this, but we went down there and hung out a couple of weeks ago. And I had some for the first time. And I just went to sleep like two days ago after drinking that. So I, I assume some of that is in our future. So I, honestly, I don't know what the future holds for any of us. I may not be able to see the camera by the time we get back Sunday. Okay, next question here. Trevor from Dune, Iowa. 
is a fall wedding on a Friday okay? I do think I need to take the gavel in my hand and I need to come down on this one way or the other. Yes, it's okay. That's why I stop short when you guys come at me and you say, fall weddings, ban fall weddings. It's not ban fall weddings, although that sounds a lot better than ban Saturday fall weddings. Saturdays in the fall. That's our time. Not Thursday, not Friday. Although I could see if you need to travel Friday, it could be a, a great big hindrance for you. But look, let's just let's be real about this. You and I probably are not getting married on a Saturday, but we do have buddies who have been dragged kicking and screaming into that world. And, you know, embarrassingly, some of them aren't even kicking or screaming. They just walk into that world. And that's something you'll never be able to explain to me, but whatever. So in the world, the real world, and whence we live, this is going to happen. You're eventually going to have to be invited to this. Not all of you can be me and say, I have to work on Saturday. It's the greatest cop-out that I have professionally. It's being able to say, I got to work on Saturday. So for those of you who find yourself in this predicament, dare I say this conundrum, ask yourself, would you rather be stuck somewhere in a chapel on a Saturday in a suit that you never like to pull out of the closet at a venue you only really want to be at on Sunday morning? You definitely don't want to be there on Saturday afternoon participating in a ceremony that's not for you and it's not made for you and it is not your scene. Do you want to do that on Saturday? Or if it's going to happen anyway, do you want to do it on a Friday? Personally, I've had many people come to me who got dragged into Saturday weddings themselves, and they said, well, we couldn't do it on a Friday because people don't want to burn a vacation day to come to the wedding. You're dead wrong about that. You're absolutely wrong about that. They don't want to come to the wedding, period, in the fall. I'm just telling you the truth because they can't tell you that because they're too good a friend to you. I'm not. I'm real with you. They don't want to come to your wedding at all. But if you're going to have your wedding in the fall, I promise you, knowing our audience like I do, I promise you there's a bunch of dudes in Macon, Georgia, or Charlotte, North Carolina, or Cody, Wyoming, even right now, listening, saying, I would 10 times rather burn one of my vacation days, get that thing over with Friday, and get home so I can have one of my 12 Saturdays per fall to myself. I'd much rather do that than keep the vacation day, but burn a Saturday. You, you make the mistake of thinking the vacation day to them is more valuable than the Saturday. And it's not. I say them. It, the Saturdays are more valuable to us than the vacation days. Now, look, full disclosure, you're listening to someone here who never has to worry about this. And also, even if I did, I don't take vacation anyway. And so I got all the vacation time in the world. So gladly will I let you take my vacation and burn it if it means that I get to you get to be free on a Saturday. Saturday Freedom Tour could very well be what we call this fall's tour. Trademark, TM, that's ours now, just in case I like it after we record and I think about it later tonight. All right, let's move it along. Adrian from Kingwood, Texas asks, which format would be in the best interest of the SEC and the sport overall when accounting for the changes made to the playoff? The current eight-game conference schedule or the nine-game conference schedule with three annual opponents. Adrian, I'm going to answer in my perfect case because we've talked about this a lot. So I'm not going to do the whole rehashing of whether they should play eight, whether they should play nine. Is it fair? Is it unfair? We've all spoken our mind on that. No one's changing their mind. And so, you know, my stance was I prefer them play nine, I guess, but I get some of the reasons they cited why they're not going to nine, at least yet, although I think ultimately they're going to go to nine. But his question was, okay, what's the best format? 
Well, on Late Kick Live Sunday night, I showed you some tweets from uh, a pair of our buddies at College Football Nerds on Twitter. They have a really, really good show. They mainly do it in the fall. A lot more analytical, a lot more numbers-based than we are. So it's kind of a good partner product. Cole Kubelik's show, College Football Nerds, our show. Yeah, it's a nice little three-pack if you want to kind of get every angle. You, you got Cole, who's an actual X's and O's guy, played the game. He's, he's with a coaching staff every week. You got us over here doing what we do, and then you got the numbers, guys. That's a really good three-pack. So anyway, they put something up last weekend on Twitter, and I showed it to you on the Sunday night show because it's absolutely how I feel. You want to know what my perfect format would be? It wouldn't be nine games, actually. I would have the whole country play eight conference games, and then I would require that they play two Power Five out-of-conference games minimum. And that is 10, obviously. And then your 11th game could be a G5 game. Your 12th game, if you want to keep your FCS game, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. I don't love it, but I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. Outside of that, I'll tell you what my real perfect case scenario would be. I'd love for everybody to play eight conference games and four out-of-conference Power 5 opponents. So you're getting the quality of schedule that you want, and we're all getting entertaining matchups, and there is no FCS, tomato can, cream puff, cupcake, whatever you want to say, on any one schedule. But here's what we're also getting. We're not getting this incestuous world where you're only playing teams in your little bubble, which is kind of what we end up with right now. And how many times have we seen this? At the end of the year, we're talking with the playoff committee, or you're talking with pollsters, and you're listening to the conversation of, well, yes, yeah, so-and-so's 10-1, and one, but we really don't know how that equates to this 9-2 and two team because the 9-2 and two team we think is in a better conference, but all you're doing is guessing. Why? Because you haven't had enough cross-conference data points. You haven't had enough teams from other conferences play each other. And if you did, it wouldn't be foolproof, but you'd go a heck of a lot further in, in realizing how conference strength stacks up in a given year. So that's why I love it. Also, it just gives you, it gives you a little breakup of the monotony. I love watching rivalries. I love watching conference matchups that we know we're going to see every year or every other year. I'm not saying take that away. You're playing eight of them in my format. You're playing eight of them, but then you're also, you're occasionally just, I don't know, you're watching Florida State go and play Michigan. You're watching Texas A&M go and play I don't know, Oregon State, just random matchups we never get to see, maybe in bowl season, but bowl season is not akin to a regular season game. So that'd be my perfect format. You play four out-of-conference Power Fives, all Power Fives, and you play eight conference games. That's a perfect world. We'll probably never get there, but you wanted my perfect world. That's my perfect world. Oh, man. How do you guys drink coffee, by the way? So I'm not a huge coffee guy, so I just drink it black. And I know, I mean, you know, my dad used to always drink it like that. And I took one sip of it one day and thought, this guy's a psycho. But now that's exactly how I drink it. I guess you do get more and more like your parents every single day. Huh. This Twitter handle's a real thing, isn't it? At Pate's Pong Paddle hit us up from Parts Unknown, probably Forts in Georgia. And he said, I get not questioning individual play calls. But is it reasonable to question a series of plays, like Bama calling nine straight pass plays for three straight three and outs in the second quarter versus LSU? Not to be too specific. I have this thing on our show. I hate people questioning play calling. I don't hate people who question play calling. 
because that would be a hateful attitude. I, it, I, don't, I don't hate the person, but the thing that some people do, continuously just questioning play calling, I've never been about it. You've probably never turned on one of my shows on Sunday and heard me question play calling. However, I, yeah, I, I've, I've had a time or two where I questioned an overall philosophy or an overall approach. You know, like if I think that you have a definite advantage, the interior of your offensive line uh, versus the interior of someone's defensive front, and you don't exploit that in the red zone. I question that. If you're continually going to something that I don't feel is your strength, I question that. Individual plays, I don't question. And look, half the time I may even be wrong when I'm questioning your philosophy. But I don't think it's egregious to do that. The reason I personally don't traffic in it a lot is because one of the blessings that we get when we go meet with coaching staffs is sometimes we'll sit down with like an offensive coordinator. And I will frequently ask those guys about a game that happened the year before, still fresh in their mind. And I'll ask them, hey, uh, what about this play? What about this sequence? Take me through it. They could go for an hour. And what they're doing is they're rarely just pulling up that play and saying, all right, here's what happened. Here's why it didn't work. Sometimes, yeah, it's just a lack of execution. But most of the time, what they have to do to explain a play call What a college football coach has to do, if they're really going to be thorough about it, is they have to take you all the way back to spring, and they have to take you all the way back to their self-scouting, and they have to take you all the way back to their player evals, and they have to take you all the way back to strength and conditioning teams showing gains or losses, and where is a player relative to where we wanted them to, and then how does that correlate to what we want to do in terms of changing our philosophy and what we think would work in this set against this look and against this front. And so then you get into spring ball and you start working on some opponents for the upcoming season and you see which looks you expect and you see how your tight end performs against this set and out of this bunch set and it's all recorded and they study that stuff and they hammer it and they're running percentages and numbers and you got analytics going into it and then you go into the summer and you're getting feedback because coaches would never watch those workouts themselves. And you're finding out, all right, who's dropping the ball, who's catching the ball, whose speed is still where it needs to be in terms of our GPS monitoring. Then you get in fall camp and you find out who can handle the workload mentally and physically. And then maybe you're watching the other team's spring games and you're getting reports from them. And then you get in the season and you're comparing what you expected from your opponents in certain looks and situations versus what you're getting. And then you get to game week. And you're really hardcore on installation of that specific game plan. And you have seen in practice what you think works and what you percentage-wise think gives you the best chance to succeed. And then it all leads up to that play in that situation. And they can tell you plainly, we called it. It didn't work. But most of the time, they'll tell you, we'd do it again. We got the look we wanted. We got the situation we wanted. We had the guys we wanted in the position we wanted. They just out-schemed us. They out-executed us. Or or maybe, you know, there was a procedural mishap before the snap. Or maybe there was a misread by the quarterback. He was supposed to check out of this if he saw that and he didn't. There are a million and one things that go into a play call that a vast majority of people on Twitter questioning play calling have no concept of. It's like you think you're looking at a puddle and you're looking at an ocean. And if you ever jumped into it, you'd find out quickly, that's what you'd sound like, question and play calling. So I don't do it, because I'm smart enough, at least, to be able to see, that's not a puddle. And I don't jump in, because I'm not qualified to. 
I welcome you to join me. I know it's not as fun, but I welcome you to join me. However, that doesn't mean that coaches calling plays are immune from criticism. doesn't mean they're perfect. People are making mistakes every drive, every series. What I am saying is the guys who are making the mistakes are the ones actually doing it at the highest level possible. In most cases, you would not be able to find someone who's better equipped to do the job they're doing. That doesn't mean that they're perfect. Far from it. It just means the best in the world are even going to make mistakes. No different than a player. It is how much can you cut down on those? How consistently can you do it the right way? Most guys who have a headset on calling plays, most of them are there because they've proven themselves to be able to do it the right way. And if they haven't, they won't be there very long. So that's my take on it. We move merrily along. Good pace here so far. (laughs) Speaking of pacing, Michael asked really probably one of the burning questions of every spring. And that is, why is the football season taking so long to get here? I'm very curious about this. I know how I feel, but a lot of you live in a different world than me. A lot of you have real jobs you have to go to. A lot of you have real world problems you have to deal with. We just get to live in this little fantasy bubble over here where all we do is college football. And so I'm saying that to illustrate to you that sometimes this time of year feels like it goes by fast to me. And it used to not be that way. When I was working down in the fabric warehouse, for example, spring and summer felt like an eternity. I felt like July was 87 days every year. And now, I I swear to you, I feel like we were in L.A. for the national championship game a month or two ago. That's how January feels to me right now. And yet we've already been through spring practice. You know, we just got out of spring meetings, uh, media days is technically over a month away, like a month and a half away. I feel like they're right here, like right on the doorstep. And so um, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I think it's a good thing. It's certainly a good thing to be able to be in a position where what you're doing keeps you occupied. And it, it's not that I'm working on the space station or anything. I'm actually doing what I love to do. Although, candidly now, if anyone at NASA is listening, I'm interested. I'm interested in going into space. I don't know how much of the staff's on board here with me. Bradley would never go into space. Bradley's only flown once, excuse me, twice, there and back. But um, yeah, I, I don't feel like this time of year, the off season, I just don't feel like it goes on nearly as long as it used to. But apparently, Michael, and a lot of you disagree. So all I can tell you, Michael, short of cryogenic freezing, and don't do that, you'll just miss out on life, is Find yourself a real solid legal hobby. So don't do a lot of the stuff I do, like train hopping. Make it legal and just immerse yourself in it. And then come up for air on Sundays and Tuesdays and Thursdays so you can watch or listen to the show or however you, however you choose. Uh, but I can tell you, man, the biggest benefit for doing what we do is it does not feel like any time goes by. From January all the way until August and then September kicks off, time just moves a whole lot faster in spring and summer. And it did not used to be that way. So I, I know exactly how you guys feel. Trust me, I know exactly how you feel. How does the pause feel? Because I don't know how you feel about that. How does the pause feel? I normally don't have any liquid out here I'm drinking. But I'm taking a sip of the coffee between every question. And they teach you in broadcasting school, which I didn't ever attend, but they teach you in broadcasting school, or so I hear, 
don't let the pregnant pauses happen. But I've always thought the pregnant pauses are good because it makes you lean in and you think your phone's messed up. And then all of a sudden, oh, never mind. He was there the whole time. See, there's another pause. All right, Joe from Medford, next up. <laughs> Joe said, why are you a fan of no divisions? As an Ohio State alum, you could have a recruiting scenario where Ohio State and Michigan play in back-to-back weeks, which seems ridiculous. Also, can't you see the Big Ten and the SEC getting to 24 so you'll need divisions anyway? Oh, Joe, okay. A lot going on here. Yes, it does seem ridiculous to have the concept of Ohio State and Michigan playing in back-to-back weeks. Yes, I agree with you there. And I don't know what the answer is because I don't think they're going to move that game off of the last weekend of the regular season. That's tradition, right? But if you're going to do away with divisions and we're just taking the top two teams, yes, you do run the risk, like we've seen in the NFL sometimes, of you playing a team in, in the last week of the season and then voila, they're your first round playoff opponent. Or in this case, they're your conference championship opponent. And you know, there is this crazy, crazy, crazy world out there where you play the same team three times in a year in the expanded playoff era and the, the, no, the no division expanded playoff era. You're not wrong here. Now, that doesn't counter the fact that I still think divisionless formatting strictly to determine a conference champ in principle is the better format. What is a division? Think about what a division is. It's just a little imaginary line someone drew on a map. For that matter, that's all conferences are. But especially, that's all a division is. So your, your imaginary line just happens to suck in the Big Ten because it has three, not just of the best teams for now, but perennially, three of the best teams in that conference every year are on one side. You got Michigan, you got Ohio State, you got Penn State. And meanwhile, you got a bunch of Purdue's and Illinois's and Minnesota's uh, 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 over on the other side. Like, that doesn't make sense. And what Joe's saying is, okay, well, that sounds all great, but you knock down that wall then all of a sudden, Ohio State and Michigan play the last week of the year, and then one of them wins, but they're still the two best teams, and then they go play again. How would that next weekend's game feel? It'd feel weird. You're not wrong, Joe. You're not wrong at all. And then Joe said, hey, could you see both of these big conferences just getting to 24 teams? And if they get there, wouldn't you need divisions again? I've got a thought on that, and I have not marinated on it long enough to really present it. But I don't think that's so far off. If they go to 20, just even 20 teams apiece, I don't think Joe's so far off. And now I think there are two possibilities. I think they may go to 10 conference games apiece. I think they may do that. But I also, I don't think it's the craziest concept in the world. This is all I'm saying. I don't think it's the craziest concept in the world to look at the Big Ten continuing to expand and the SEC continuing to expand and thinking that, yeah, they got rid of divisions for a second or two, but once they get inflated to 20 or 24 teams, might they go right back to it? And might, might they just kind of recreate their own little power five? Do you hear what I just said there? What if? What if the Big Ten went to, let's say, 24 teams, and they split 12 and 12? What if the SEC went to 20 teams, and they split 10 and 10? Yeah, like four power divisions there. And really, they look like conferences. And let me, let, me, let me break it down even further for you. If the Big Ten were to have 24 teams, and the SEC had 20 teams, and then each of them split down the middle, and there were 12 on each side and 10 on each side, 
Does that not roughly sound to you like the AFC and the NFC? And what if, what if before they went to any national championship, what if they had their own little mini playoff just right in their conference? You know, what if the two best from one side of the Big Ten played the two best from the other side in semifinal games, and then, and then they maybe met in a conference championship game? Ditto in the SEC. And then the SEC is spitting out its conference champ to play against the Big Ten's conference champ. This mirrors the NFL playoff system is what I'm saying. I am not advocating for this. Anyone who's listened to this show for more than 10 seconds knows this is not my dream scenario. It's a lot more a nightmare. But if that's where you're going, that may be what you end up with. That's why I'm so fascinated. When we get out of this current media deal, this current playoff contract, which only runs for two more years, and they have to renegotiate this thing again, I'm curious, how big is the Big Ten at that point? How big is the SEC at that point? And how willing are they to just carry over the current model that we'll have next year where it's six conference champs, auto bid, and then it's six at-larges? Are they just okay with that? I don't know. We'll see. Some of you aren't okay with this, but it's happening anyway. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And we're back. James from Woodstock, Georgia asks, Shortening games is all but guaranteed with 16 to 17 games in the expanded playoff. As college football commissioner, how would you achieve this? Well, James, the first thing I would do is nothing. And I would actually go in reverse. See, going backwards is not always anti-progress. If you turn left down a dead-end road, James, and I'm in the passenger seat saying, the, the GPS is wrong. It can't mean this. I'm just yelling at you like Dwight Schrute. If I throw it in reverse, I'm not killing progress. I'm saving you from running into a dead end. And that, in a lot of cases, is how I felt about some of the changes in the sport. So yeah, we're headed towards an expanded playoff. And yeah, We've already got measures being taken to shorten football games. Yeah, when I'm college football commissioner, we're not doing a thing more to shorten football games. What we may do, what we may do, and this is not going to be popular in the room I'm going to have to be in as the commissioner, is I may look around and I may say, I look at how many billions of dollars are on these sheets of paper in front of me. And I'm going to humbly suggest that you... And you, and you, I'm just looking at all the networks in the room at that point. I think you guys can do with shaving one 30-second ad break per media timeout off of your ad sales. And they're going to look at me sideways like I just spoke to them in Mandarin Chinese. And I'm going to say it again. 
Yes, I am saying leave some money on the table for the betterment of the overall product. Two of them fainted already before I even finished the sentence. Because when it comes to the best interest of the sport, as far as the people in that room are concerned, it actually has very little to do with what the best interest of the sport is. Like the best interest of college football to them is what serves the big media companies. And they're not evil. I'm not doing the whole thing where I, I wave a torch in front of every major media logo, the ESPNs and the CBSs. I work for CBS. I'm not doing that. Well, what I am saying is when, when they came to us a couple of months ago and they said, we've got to pass these new rules because the games are taking too long, I realized they actually thought we were stupid enough to not understand what was going on. They thought we were actually so stupid as to be convinced college football games have gotten longer. Like we've added minutes to the clock. They've got, they haven't gotten longer. The runtime has gotten longer because you've got 45 seconds more of ad break in each break than you used to have. And that adds up. You run 12 to 15 ad spots over a random Saturday afternoon broadcast. And all of a sudden, at 45 extra seconds a pop, you're getting over five, sometimes closer to seven or eight minutes more runtime. And that's not even to account for how much longer half times are. And how many ad breaks are sold, especially on the bookend ad breaks, going into and out of a timeout. And they looked at you and they said, we got a problem. Oh, really? What's the problem? College football games are too long. We got to change the clock rules. Are you changing anything about yourself? Absolutely not. No, we're not changing anything about ourselves. What do you want us to do? Give up money? We need all this money. And then, and this is the capper, and this is what really gets me. I don't think our audience does this, but some of the more casual-minded amongst us do. Some people actually clap like seals whenever those, those conferences release those staggering new dollar figures and those media deals. Some people start beating their chest. Look at how much money we're making. We? Whomst? Whomst is we? We, the SEC. Really? Could you show me that check when it shows up in your mailbox there in Woodstock, Georgia? Could you show me that? I don't think you can. Hey, uh, down there, down there in Meridian, Mississippi. Could you screenshot the direct deposit that the SEC sent you? No, you don't have it. Why do you care? How does it impact you if the SEC made 13 million less dollars a year? How does it impact you? Answer, it doesn't. And yet they've convinced some of you to, to hold the shield for them so they don't have to take the criticism. I wouldn't shorten games at all, is my answer. And if that gets me ousted as college football commissioner, whatever. But no, I wouldn't shorten games at all. Somebody was asking, somebody was asking last night, because uh, we're recording this on Monday, even though you won't listen to it until Tuesday. Somebody was asking about whether I was going to go to an NBA playoff game when we're down in Miami. And y'all were joking. Like, you think I've never been to an NBA playoff game or an NBA finals game. I'll give you a story. It's about two minutes long. The year was 2013. And your boy had been hired in my first ever television job. And I was due to start, I think it may have been a Monday, whatever day I was going to start. This is when I had been working at the radio station and the television general manager called me and he offered me an opportunity to host my own weeknight college football show and also be the sports anchor at the news station. I've never been on TV before. This is my, at my big break, okay? 
Well, I also got tickets to the NBA Finals game six down in Miami. This was Spurs Heat. That's that game where Ray Allen hit that three very, very late in the fourth quarter to send it to a game seven. Heat end up winning. So I'm down there for that. I miss my flight the next morning by about eight minutes. I don't make it to Columbus to start my first day of work. And I can't get another flight out of Miami. True story now. I had to rent a minivan because that's all they had left. And I drove straight shot from Miami International Airport all the way to Hartsfield in Atlanta just to pick up a car and then drive it down. That's another hour, hour and a half. Drive it down to Columbus. And I was as angry for an extended period of time as I've ever been. I've also never driven that fast before consistently. Well, at the point in time I hadn't. And so, yeah, I guess I'm telling you that story to tell you I've been to NBA Finals games in Miami. So don't be surprised while we're down there. If you see me over there on, um, on Wednesday night, we'll see. Time will tell. Matt from Midland, Michigan. You said college football never felt bigger than when Florida and Bama played in the SEC title game. What sets that apart from the other big conference title games that have happened since then? Really good question. Talked about this a lot because we were, we were kind of delving into that new documentary that's coming out, Swamp Kings on Netflix, and it's about the Florida Gators 06 to 09 run under Urban Meyer. And I, I assume that they're going to heavily delve into these SEC championship games that they played in 2008 and 2009. And I said at the, at the end of the Sunday night show, I said, those games felt like the pinnacle of college football to me. That period of time, college football has never felt bigger to me than it did when it was Meyer versus Saban. It was Tebow. It was Mark Ingram. You got two Heisman winners on the field. Both of them are undefeated in 2009. Florida's going for history. Like Florida is coming off a national title that they had to go through Bama to get the year before. And they're looking to be coronated maybe as the best team of all time. But the point is, it was one versus two both years. And this is the BCS era. Those teams are the two best in the country both years. They're the two best in the country, but they're not meeting in the national title game. They're going to the SEC championship game. And the country kind of viewed the SEC title game as the national title game both years. Both winners ended up going on to win the national championship. But the stakes were maximum. The environment was maximum. There was such urgency. There was no safety net under the game. You had legendary head coaches. You had legendary players on the field. Future NFL stars littered across both rosters. And you were watching an apex predator in the Florida Gators. That program had become the apex predator in college football. And you had a guy in Nick Saban come into Alabama and in no uncertain terms say, no, we're about to take that from you. And they tried in 08, and they just missed. And then they got there again in 09, and they took Florida down. And what you knew, because I was in the building that night, what you knew, what you were watching, is you were watching a changing of the guard, not just in the SEC, but in college football. Now, what we didn't know at the time is Urban Meyer was not long for Florida after that. He, in fact, he was out of there after the next year. I thought we could very well be setting up at the time for like the SEC's own version of the 10-year war. That was Bo Woody up in the Big Ten. I thought we could be setting up for that. Think about that. If, if Urban Meyer does not bolt from Florida, I know the health concern, blah, 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 whatever you think took him away from Gainesville. If he just stayed there, 
if they stayed the course and it was Saban Meyer for like another decade, like think about what the SEC would have looked like. Think about what that back and forth would have looked like. Because when he was gone, the next biggest challenger to Bama ended up being LSU. And then those games were legendary too. But if it was Saban and Meyer, and they're on opposite sides of the SEC, so they wouldn't have always even met in the regular season, that would have been legendary. As it was, we got a taste of it. And I think what it was was, you, this, was pre, this was pre-opt-out, like no one had ever opted out of anything. This was pre-playoff, so no one was focused on the playoff. This was maximum regular season. It was maximum importance on every game. Uh, you lose once and you're going to be done. And both of them go into the SEC championship game one, two each year, and the loser knows we're out. You'll never get that again because you could never have teams that elite go into a late season game knowing that we cannot lose today or we're going to be out of here because the expanded playoff will remove that urgency. And so some of you think that's worth it. Some of us don't think that's worth it, but whatever, it's going to happen. I have not felt like college football has ever been bigger than that time. And I think some of you, I got a huge college audience that listens to the show. So some of you, you were alive when this happened, but maybe you weren't old enough to like really get it. I got it. Like I was at least old enough at that point to get it. And if you got it, think you know what I'm talking about. And there's some folks who were on those coaching staffs who listen to this show, who I've spoken with because we, we talked about it Sunday night. They echoed the same sentiment, man. Everybody was locked into that game. Those two games, everybody was locked into. Amazing times. All right, next up. Or is that it, Bradley? No, we got one more. Okay. Nick from Tampa, Florida. How can the NCAA be fixed, overhauled, or replaced? It feels like it's ran by FIFA's Sepp Blatter. Could the Power Fives break off? Could they force transparency or more competence? And that, again, was Nick down in Tampa, Florida. Careful what you ask for. It's what I always get told when I suggest this to people in the college football administrative world. Everyone thinks they want that. Everyone thinks they want Power Five teams and leagues to break off from the NCAA. But when you look under the hood and you look at what the NCAA is good for, it's not, it's not their stated mission. Like their stated mission and purpose, they're not that great at that stuff. But what they are great at doing is the same thing Roger Goodell's great at doing for NFL owners, and that is protecting them. The NCAA protects a lot of these Power Five leagues, and what I mean by that is it costs money to run college football. And it's several tens of millions of dollars a year, but I'm not talking about keeping the lights on in the stadium or making sure you got new pads or uniforms and the plane trips are paid for. Not that. Not that. Your, your own athletic departments are paying for that stuff. Liability. Those lawsuits that get filed against college football that happen all the time, most of the time you don't see them. You know who's litigating those? It's not the University of Utah. It's not Tennessee. It's the NCAA. You played at Tennessee. You got a, a sustained neck injury that, that gives you trouble later in life and you get sucked in. Well, you don't get sucked in. You get included in a class action lawsuit. It's not against the SEC or Tennessee. It's against the NCAA. And right now, the NCAA is the one where the pocketbook opens up and those costs come out. Well, are you ready to shoulder that? A lot of leagues say no. And so when this gets presented, yeah, you get hamstrung sometimes by their lackadaisical approach to enforcement. 
and then other times their aggressive approach to enforcement. And yeah, it's mind-boggling sometimes. While they'll approve one appeal and they won't approve another appeal, takes forever for a coach to find out if he's going to have a show cause or not. All that is very, very aggravating. However, if you want to break away, you got to make sure you're really ready to break away. And some leagues think they're ready to break away, but they're not actually ready to break away. Now, this is boring to college football fans. Like, you guys don't care about what's happening in a courtroom. You do care about what's happening on a field. I'm just telling you part of the hiccup, part of the holdup for this happening is what I'm talking about. Liability, liability, liability. It costs money to defend college football, and not all conferences are ready to do it. Despite what some of those gigantic media deals would suggest. Now, now I'll come back, and I'll actually say what those media deals indicate is maybe a couple of them are going to be equipped to do that, but it is not cheap. It ain't cheap to run a college football league or conference or whatever the case may be. All right, big week coming up. I, uh, I ask you guys, humbly, humbly ask you, subscribe, and then go get mom's phone and subscribe there too. It doesn't really matter. We're not going to do any harm to her. Don't worry. We love mom. And I love all of you. And I mean it. And I speak for the staff as well. So for Director Colin, for Bradley, the associate, for Producer Jesse, for myself, we'll see you Thursday night from Miami. Make sure you're following the Instagram story. Could be really, really spicy this week from South Florida at Late Kick Josh. Also, there's just great softball content over there, too. All right, we're out. Appreciate you guys listening. Take care. We'll see you Thursday night. God bless. God bless.